0: Hi, thanks for joining us for this month's episode of Check Us Out, the Montclair Public Libraries podcast. I'm Peter Coyle, the library director, and we're glad you're joining us for February's edition. As you listen, you'll hear Maurice talk about African American History Month, career development, and some leisure programs that the adult school is offering. Molly's going to talk about Open Book, Open Mind, and a number of events we have coming up. Kirsten's going to share fiction titles that won awards at the Youth Media Awards earlier this year from the American Library Association. All of the titles she talks about will be available digitally or physically in our collection. And Ken is going to talk about new titles from adult fiction authors that are coming out this month. And more books will be discussed as Adrian explores the beginnings of There, There by Tommy Orange. And Ariel is going to interview Gabrielle Glazer in her new book American Baby A Mother A Child and the Shadow History of Adoption. She lives in Montclair and will be featured in our Open, Open Mind event on February 28th. You can find more information on how to register for that event on our website at montclairlibrary.org. We hope you enjoy this episode of Check Us Out. Okay everyone.
1: Hello. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. This is Maurice from the Adult School.
2: And this is Molly from the Adult Services Department.
1: We're here just to discuss some of our upcoming programs for the month of November. I'm sorry, month of February, <laughs> I should say. Sorry, my, my <laughs> brain is totally uh, stuck in last year, weirdly enough. So, uh, yes, we're preparing programs and activities for the month of February, second so month of 2021.
2: Yeah, and I'm going to mention some in early March, too, as a bonus.
1: Wonderful. You know, obviously, February is African American History Month, and the Montclair Library every year we try to offer activities and educational programming to recognize the month for the community here in montclair and as well as the surrounding communities and at the adult school we have a a number of online classes that are there to serve that purpose and to bring to attention or bring to to further discuss the contributions of african-americans to not only to america so Along those lines, we're going to look into literature. We're doing The Paradoxes of African-American Satire on Thursday, February 18th, 6.30 to 8 p.m. That will be led by Jonathan Greenberg, who is the chair of the English department at Montclair State University. We'll be comparing the works of George Shiler, Ralph Ellison, and Paul Beatty. Those are three novelists of different eras who were, uh, were looking at the African-American experience, African-American life, some light comedy there as well. And the question is, at what point does that Satire become offensive, you know that there's been that uh, debate, which seems to continue to go on in African American arts and expression. You know how is how much satire is too much satire, particularly in in the in the historical absence of times of a more sort of factual telling of the African American experience. You know that's there's been sort of that that back and forth there. And um, Professor Greenberg will delve into that on February 18th. We're also welcoming back Dr. Lily Edwards. A professor emeritus from Drew University. She'll be leading the transatlantic slave trade and the making of the modern world. That'll be Friday, February 19th, 10:30 a.m to noon. She'll be this is a free lecture I should mention. She'll be discussing the impact of, of course, the as as suggests, the transatlantic slave trade, particularly its impact on Europe and America and the in the new world in general, both in the past and, and going forward. We're also uh, welcoming back Janet Mandel, a our, our popular art lecturer. She will discuss Meta Val Fuller, Sculptor of the Black American Experience. Meta Fuller is, is a very influential Black sculptor who may have been sort of forgotten in certain quarters, but her work is very influential. She was a disciple and apprentice of Rodin, the uh, landmark sculptor. So we'll be doing a hour and a half long chat discussion of her work presentation as well of some of her work is very, very, very powerful work and speaks volumes of her interpretation of the African american experience of her time. She's also sort of a, a daughter of the Harlem Renaissance. You know, she was trained by, I believe, by Augusta Savage, you know, who was uh, one of the leading artists as well as instructors of the, of the Harlem Renaissance and uh metaphor was a student of hers, I believe. And uh, we're also doing, turning from the African american history, we're also going to be doing some career development as well. So we're often navigating and managing your career in a virtual job market. That will be Thursday, February 4th, 6, 8 p.m. That will be led by Jennifer Rogers. And it will be intended to prepare job seekers, prepare them for how to grow their careers in a digital post-pandemic environment. I'm sure many people find it very useful. On the wider side of things, we're also going to be offering some games. And we're also going to be doing my John again, beginner my John. That will be Fridays, that'll be a five session class, Fridays, February 19th through March 19th, 10 a.m. to noon. Uh, we're taking one day off on the 12th for uh, Lincoln's birthday. But uh, beyond that, it should be a very fun uh, activity there. Unless her, she's a very popular, very celebrated instructor with us. From, she's been with us for many years, teaching my John, and her students are brave about her um, techniques also going into march a little bit we also plan to have some activities uh, i guess programs i should say for women's history month including 500 years of fashion subordination called the corset shape the dress our design instructor marsh kuperman will go through the history of the corset and various dresses that have uh been evolved because of that from the farthing farthington dress let like was call to some others they are um should be a very lively, very uh, interesting conversation and presentation. Again, that'll be Wednesday, March 3rd, 6.30 to 8 p.m. We're also gonna be doing Pioneering Women Photographers with Joanna Matlock, our photography instructor. That'll be Thursday, March 11th, 6.30 to 8 p.m. And that will cover a wide swath of very influential female photographers from 1850 through 1950. That's some of the activities we have. We also have other activities coming to uh, other uh, classes and lectures. Uh, for more information r- and for registration, visit adultschool.org.
2: Okay, sounds like a great variety. For us, we also have some events coming up. I'll just mention a few that are happening in mid-February to early March. On Thursday, February 11th at 7, Charles Blow will be in conversation with Jim Johnson to discuss the new book, The Devil You Know, A Black Power Manifesto. That is a ticketed event, it's $5 a ticket, and that is part of our Open Book Open Mind series. We also have another event in that series. Isabel Wilkerson will be discussing her book Cast on February 22nd, that's a Monday night at seven. That is not a ticketed event, also part of the series, filling up very quickly, both of those. So I would grab your seat now if you're interested. We also have a entrepreneurship talk with reference solutions which you may have heard of before as Reference USA. It's a research database geared toward like business and consumer research. So a representative from that product will be discussing the ways you can use it as a small business owner or entrepreneur. And that is a free talk as well. That's on February 16th at 3. Oh, I forgot to mention two other open book open mind I'm looking at my notes I should have mentioned them all together but I'll go more in date order we have another open book open mind discussion with Gabrielle Glazer which she wrote American Baby about adoption and that is getting a lot of buzz right now so it also grab your virtual seat for that if you're interested that's on February 28th at four and then we have another open book open mind a week later on March 7th at four with Barry Meyer he has a book about private spies which sounds super interesting and that will round out our like early spring, late winter for open book, open mind, but we'll have even more after that. The last one I'm gonna mention, March 10th, is a program on ransomware prevention with New Jersey cybersecurity experts. Um, that'll be on March 10th at three o'clock.
1: Wonderful of
2: stuff coming up. Hard yeah, to keep lots track. Of,
1: Wow. Wow,
3: wow. <laughs> I was
2: jumping around the dates. <laughs> I, I wrote them in order and then I went around. Um, but there's lots of good things to keep track of. And those events, as well as the adult school events, Maurice, are all listed on our website, MontclairLibrary.org. So you can go to our calendar and see everything. Wonderful. In wonderful.
1: I guess okay, a great lineup. I mean, you have big names starting out there, of course, with um, Charles Blow. You know, that's mm-hmm. a great um, listing. Then moving on to Gabrielle Glaser. Then... Um, Going to, you know, career entrepreneurship and, you know, as well as um, the uh, ransomware, you know, computer security. Those are all important issues for a lot of people today, particularly in this environment. So that's a um, wonderful lineup.
2: Yeah, we're trying to get um, offer something for everybody mm-hmm. between fun stuff and informational stuff.
4: Yeah, yeah, sure. Wonderful.
2: All right. Well, always Everyone. a pleasure chatting yeah. about yes. library stuff.
1: <laughs> yes, 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 yes. We're hard at work and, you know, we love seeing people, I mean, uh, you know, by the time at the time this airs so that we would have gone through our january schedule at the adult school and so far it's wonderful response from students in the community we're more than happy to continue to offer class as i'm sure you guys are mm-hmm. at um at adult service adult services so yes um continue to you know to take advantage of our services and continue to be safe in an online environment hopefully you know we'll be <laughs> back in the building sometime soon for classes hopefully you know in, in a years so, uh, who knows in this who environment so at this point yeah but you know we just, we just you know just uh, cross our fingers and hope for the best but until then hope everyone's safe and on that note thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time
5: hi this is ken february is a short month but there are enough interesting new titles to be published to whet my appetite first is the first novel in over 20 years by the actor ethan hawk I've long admired Hawke's skills as an actor, but have never read his earlier novels. His new one is titled A Bright Ray of Darkness and is about, surprise, an actor. In this case, it's a young actor recovering from the breakup of his marriage, hoping for a reconciliation and appearing in a production of Shakespeare's Henry IV*. His struggles with his life while dealing with a strong-willed director and a narcissistic co-star playing Falstaff sound very entertaining. I'm curious to see an actor's view into the interior life of his profession. A debut novel that is getting a lot of attention is The Bad Muslim Discount by Syed M. Massoud. It's being described as an irreverent comic novel about Muslim immigrants to America. The novel weaves together the stories of two families from Pakistan and Iraq, how they come to move to San Francisco, and how the two main characters, Anvar and Safwa, are thrown together. Their relationship impacts the Muslim-American community where their families live. It sounds lively, to say the least. Anyone who follows these podcasts regularly knows that I'm a big fan of World War II thrillers. One being published this month is pretty much guaranteed to pique my interest. It's called The Paris Library by Janet Skesley and Charles. A young librarian at the American Library is drawn into the French Resistance after the Nazis occupy Paris. Her stories intertwined with that of a young girl in Montana in 1983 who comes to learn the secrets of her elderly neighbor's past. I also like books where the decisions of one's past impact the future, so I'm eager to get lost in this story. Walter Mosley is a longtime favorite of mine. I've read many of his books, and my favorites, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this, are The Easy Rollins Mysteries. Easy's saga began with Devil in a Blue Dress, an absolute classic published in 1990 and set in the late 1940s. It's been five years since the last book in the series, and the new one, Blood Grove, finds Easy 20 years later. It's the late 60s in LA, and Easy takes the case of a troubled Vietnam veteran who was attacked in an orange grove and thinks he may have killed a man. I don't know much more about it, I'm curious to see Easy at Work in Los Angeles at that time in history. Mosley's books are also a great look at black society at different points in history. Speaking of black history, a non-fiction book coming out this month is 400 Souls: A Community History of African America, 1619 to 2019. The book was curated by Ibram X Kendi, the author of How to Be an Anti-Racist. The book is a chronological history of the Black American experience, and its 80 chapters are written by a mix of writers, historians, activists, and poets. Beginning with the earliest days of slavery and continuing through every period of African American history through the challenges of the Trump administration, the myriad voices bring all these periods to life. The book sounds indispensable. That's all for this month, and there's plenty for us all to dig into. Enjoy.
3: Hello, this is Teen Services Librarian Kirsten. Today I wanted to share about some fiction titles that were honored with 2021 Youth Media Awards that are available either digitally or physically in our collection. First up, we have the Prince Award winners and honorees. The Prince is an award for excellence in young adult literature, which spans from middle to high school audiences. The winner, Everything Sad is Untrue, A True Story, by Daniel Nayeri, is the story of Daniel, a young Iranian refugee living in Oklahoma, who uses myths, humor, and history, both family and collective, to cope with his new life experience. This title is ideal for younger teens, but the originality and heart of the story can be appreciated by all ages. Everything Sad is Untrue is available digitally through Overdrive and on Hoopla. Three of the Prince honorees are also available digitally through Overdrive. First up is the graphic novel Dragon Hoops by Jean Luen Yang. I've mentioned Dragon Hoops previously on the podcast, but it bears repeating that this is a highly worthwhile title to check out. Dragon Hoops is a nonfiction graphic novel. That follows the men's basketball season at the private high school in Oakland, California, where author and illustrator Yang teaches. It also addresses the history of basketball, issues of race and equity, and the creative process. Everybody Looking by Candace Elo is the story of Ada, a freshman studying dance at a historically Black college. The novel follows her journey of self-discovery as she comes to terms with her mother's battle with addiction and her relationship with her father. While realizing that however loving and well-meaning he may be, only she can create her own destiny and control her own life. We Are Not Free by Tracy Chi tells the story of a close-knit group of second-generation Japanese-American teens living in San Francisco, who pull together and work to survive when many members of their community are pulled from their homes and incarcerated in concentration camps during World War II. We Are Not Free tells an interconnected story from the perspective of 14 different voices. Two of the Coretta Scott King Award honorees are also available in our collections. First, All the Days Past, All the Days to Come, written by Mildred D. Taylor, which is a teen honoree title follows the story of Cassie Logan, who was introduced in Taylor's beloved Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, as she comes of age, attends law school, and participates in the rise of the civil rights movement. This title is available both as a physical book in our teen collection and as an ebook through Overdrive. Also honored by the King Committee was Legend Born by Tracy Dion, which won the John Steptoe New Talent Author Award. Legend Born is available as an ebook and the audiobook This novel combines realistic fiction and Arthurian legend for a wholly original story. The Schneider Family Book Award, which honors books that embody an artistic expression of the disability experience, selected This Is My Brain in Love by E.W. Gregorio for their teen winner. This Is My Brain in Love is a romantic comedy told in a dual narrative, which explores mental health and racism while telling the story of Jocelyn and Will, an unlikely pair who find themselves thrown together in an attempt to save Jocelyn's father's Chinese restaurant. This title is contemporary, funny, and available digitally through Overdrive. The Pura Belpré Awards honor writers of Latinx heritage, The teen winner and one honoree in this category are available digitally. Furia, the winning teen title, is the story of a young woman and talented soccer player struggling with the tension between her parents' expectations and her own wishes. We Are Not From Here by Jenny Torres-Sanchez follows three resilient and brave teens banding together for a dangerous border crossing. Two of the Stonewall Book Award honorees, which recognize books about the gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender experience, are available through Overdrive as well. First we have You Should See Me in a Crown by Leah Johnson. This was discussed more fully in a previous podcast, but it's a sweet romantic comedy which follows Liz, a queer identified teen who has spent her high school career as a chronic overachiever, when she decides to enter a competition to be crowned prom queen and win a $10,000 prize after losing out on a scholarship. The other uh, teen Stonewall honoree that's available digitally is Felix Ever After by Casey Callender. This title was also previously discussed on the podcast, and follows the story of Felix, a transgender teenager coping, coping with online bullying but ultimately embarking on a journey of self-discovery, personal triumph, and even a quasi-love triangle. Next we have the Asian Pacific American Teen Award winner, *This Light Between Us by Andrew Fukuda, which is available as a physical book in our teen collection. This story tells the story of a Japanese-American boy living in Washington during World War II and his correspondence with his pen pal, a Jewish girl living in France. The Sydney Taylor Book Awards honor books about the Jewish experience. One of their teen honorees, They Went Left by Monica Hess, is available digitally through Overdrive. This book tells the story of Zofia, a young woman who survives the liberation of Auschwitz as she searches for her brother, the only other member of her family who may have also survived. Finally, the Margaret A. Edwards Award for Lifetime Achievement was given to Kekla Lagoon. Many of her titles, including X, a novel co-written with Ilyasa Shabazz, how It Went Down, The Rock and the River, and Fire in the Streets are available physically in our teen collection, and I highly recommend checking them out. Thanks for joining me and learning a bit about our award winners and nominees this year. I hope you find a good one to read. Bye.
6: Hi, this is Adrian again from Montclair Public Library, and today I'm going to be talking about There, There by Tommy Orange. So first I want to talk about how the book opens up. The prologue. It was deep. It talks about the indictment of the white man for his intentional impact on the Native population. And I use the word intentional here because it's not hard to do this when the U.S. uses the term, quote, Indian termination policy, unquote, to describe its policy regarding Native Americans in the 40s through the 60s. Because of reading this book, Uh, do a little research and yeah true to form the Indian termination policy its intent was that the Native Americans abandon their traditional lives and become civilized and just flat out just plain assimilate the white man there are about 12 or 13 characters in this book Some of the characters are family members, some of them meet through planning this big Oakland powwow, I'll talk about that a little bit later. Some each know each other through drug dealing or drug use. There's a wide range of connections and experiences with these characters, but he does bring it together they are all self-described urban Indians, each with their own chapters in this book. And we follow their interconnected lives as they prepare for this powwow. And a powwow is a, a, a Native Indian ceremony where they eat and sing and dance and and rejoice in their culture. They're drawn there for many reasons. Like some just to simply reconnect or some to, you know, make profits, to make money, to dance, to record stories. But there's also a few of the characters that are planning to rob this powwow. I'm going to leave it right there so I don't go too far. That's enough to kind of give you the gist of things to come. There's violence present in every encounter between urban Indians and white settlers, and Mr. Orange cites evidence including the Indian Relocation Act and the attempt to force Natives to assimilate the white American culture. This introduction to the historical and ongoing violence faced by the Native Americans resurfaces throughout the entire book. Um, This book is filled with history I otherwise wouldn't have been exposed to, and for that I am very grateful and it may require a bit of rereading but i promise you it's well worth all the energy required to take in you will be changed again this is adrian montclair public library discussing tommy orange there there
4: good afternoon i'm ariel zeitlin i'm one of the librarians at montclair public library And I'm about to interview Gabrielle Glazer, who's the author of American Baby, A Mother, A Child, and the Shadow History of Adoption. It's a heartbreaking and compelling book with a bittersweet ending that focuses on one mother, one child, and connects the dots to a societal history of what came to be a kind of industrial adoption complex.
7: Welcome, Gabrielle. Thank you so much for having me. You summed up the book perfectly. (laughs) So, when and why did you move
4: to Montclair?
7: My husband and I moved with our three daughters in 2008 from Portland, Oregon. We're both journalists, and we had lots of friends here. I loved the fact that it had so many trees. (laughs) I loved the fact that it had three swimming pools. I loved the fact that it had a very, very interesting, marvelous artistic community that ranged from jazz musicians to authors. It had a museum, it had great restaurants, it had very interesting history. It was, it, it it, it really just drew us. And also it's an hour from the beach. I love to swim and I love the water. And... and that's an important fact.
4: And of course it has a
7: library. Not only one library, but two libraries and a Carnegie library, you know, to boot. So true. Are you a library lover, Gabrielle? I love libraries and I've loved libraries since I was a little girl. I would go and read scholastic biographies of everybody in my, first of all, my school library. There was a series. I could see them. I could still smell them too. They had a sort of yellow cover. And I read biographies of Booker T. Washington and Florence Nightingale. I just, just inhaled biographies and then I I sort of graduated to my local town library which was very exciting and just coming home with a stack of books I loved the crinkly covers and the library cards in back and you could see who had read them before you just the the communal sense of of a book was really powerful to me as starting from childhood And of course, you know, electronically, we don't do that anymore, but I do love the crinkly covers of of books at the Montclair Library too.
4: Well, that's great to hear. And um, I love the crinkly covers of the books and I love the smell of the books. I mean, but then I am a librarian. So what's your relationship to the Montclair Public Library? Have you
7: spent a bunch of time here? I have, I would often, often go in the writing of this book. I would go maybe once a week to the second floor i would settle myself down and just be with be around other people even though i was working and it was a quiet space and but again as a communal resource it made me feel less alone i'm an extrovert with an introvert's job as an author (laughs) and now we all have now we all have an introvert's life right but going to the library and being able to take just, you know, stack of my materials with me and sit and and work and be around other quiet people was really, it was, it really buoyed me, gave me energy.
4: And do you think there's a best kept secret about Montclair public library that you would want to share with our listeners?
7: Yes, because I am an, a history nerd, you can get journal studies on it. You're going Academic to Search Premier, Academic Search Premier, is an incredible resource that more people need to know about. More people need to be aware that you can access that from your public library. You can get journal studies. You can get old newspapers. You can get you can get so much from a library system as well-funded and just beautiful as as montclair's it's really exquisite well thank you tell me a little bit about this book it's a
4: big topic it's got a lot of levels to it there's some uh painful components to it what was it like to write about it and what drew you to it
7: what drew me to it was the really universal human story of a mother and the son that she was forced to surrender, but that she never stopped loving. Hmm. And when David Rosenberg, who was the son, Margaret Earle was forced to surrender into this, as you said, predatory adoption system that existed in the years after the war and before Roe v. Wade, he had always believed that his mother had quote unquote given him up and that he had been somehow an inconvenience to her. He didn't know very much about the first two years of his life, other than that his mother had been a young Jewish girl in trouble in New York City in 1961. And he used those words. Those, used, those words were the words that everybody used to describe adoption in that era. In trouble. In trouble. Yes, in trouble. You were in trouble with your parents. You were in trouble with your religious community. You were in trouble with society and you were in trouble with the law. And for him to learn that in fact, his mother had tried everything she could as a young teenage girl to try to keep him. She had married his birth father, they had eloped, they had really just fought desperately to keep custody of their baby. And he was out of their reach and to have learned the backstory of that when David, David reunited with his mother when he was 52 years old, a DNA test had helped lead him to her. And when he learned that he had been loved every single day of his life, it was an extraordinary, it chokes me up still. It, it was an extraordinary thing to learn it was an extraordinary thing for him to learn it was an extraordinary thing for her to be able to tell him it was very healing it was healing as a human being to know that kind of love existed in the world and then to multiply that by more than three million women who were coerced into surrendering their children during that period was a lot of for me it was a lot of love that was ricocheting around the planet around this country that i wanted to try to understand and help other people understand and yet
4: the strength to me of the book is actually that you contextualize it and you talk about not just the one story but how it fits into the myths about motherhood and um, about families in the time. And also that you talk about the cruelty of these religious institutions toward these unwed mothers and the babies who were in the parlance of the day born out of wedlock.
7: Exactly. I was also surprised about that. Most of the adoption agencies that began cropping up in the early 20th century were outgrowths of religious institutions and the ones in New York City, for example, because New York state law required that if a, if a child who was quote unquote born out of wedlock was born to a Catholic mother, that child had to go to a Catholic family and the adoption was handled therefore by Catholic charities and so on right? So there were Lutheran agencies, and certainly the one at the center of this book is a Jewish agency, the Louise Wise Services. And what really astonished me in writing this book was the amount of affinity fraud that each of those large institutions perpetrated. So the theory was, well, we're going to take care of you. We're, we're a nice Jewish agency founded by the wife of one of the, you know, country's most famous rabbis, Stephen Wise, we're going to take care of you. We're going to take care of your problem. We're going to make sure your baby goes to the right family. And it's going to be a tidy solution to this very untidy problem of unwed motherhood, which was really uh, a tripled in the decades after World War II, in the two decades after World War II. Mm-hmm. So learning the truth behind the deceptions that that agency in particular perpetrated was something that I really, that really took me by surprise. And I think it, uh, I think until people like David and Margaret were reunited, much of those deceptions went unexplored. Everybody just believed what they had been told. David believed that he had been an inconvenience to his mother. He didn't know that she had, married his birth father, that he had three full siblings. And likewise, Margaret was told that David was uh, adopted by diplomats. She always fantasized that he was growing up in Spain, or maybe he was a young baby pioneer in the newly formed state of Israel. She would really reassure herself with the belief that he was growing up in this extravagant you know, in these extravagant embassies around the the world. And he was adopted by lovely, beautiful, devoted people who cherished him, but it was a a Romanian Holocaust survivor and his wife who were cantors. The the father was a cantor and David grew up 10 blocks from where Margaret lived with her husband and second child. He was not in an embassy in Spain. (laughs) Is there a
4: a myth about this topic that you would care to share with our listeners just off the top of your head?
7: Yes, I think one really powerful truth about adoption that most people do not want to, or that many people do not want to acknowledge is that it begins with loss. It begins with the loss of... A mother who is unable to or forced to is unable to care for or is forced to surrender her child. It begins with the loss of that connection of the adoptee to his birth kin. And while adoptive parents are thrilled to be able to raise a child and have a family, oftentimes there's the loss in the background there too with the sadness about one's inability to conceive a genetic child. And that's a hard truth to say. It's a hard truth to have to acknowledge for many people. But I think as a society, we need to understand that, that there is that loss of kin for adoptees in particular is a really, it's a difficult thing to start your life out with. So here you've been steeped
4: in this topic with its ups and its downs for four years. Are you thinking about what next? Do you have a project
7: in mind? What do you want to focus on? One thing that really struck me in the writing of this book was the work of John Bowlby, who was a British child psychiatrist in post-war England who is the progenitor of what uh, we call attachment theory. And he published a book in 1952 with the arresting title of maternal care and mental health. And it really established the importance of a caregiver being able to reassure a child and take care of his or her needs in the first two years of life. And we attachment parenting gets a lot of, you know, it it, it wouldn't be a book about attachment parenting, it would be a book about this man, his work, what it means now, what it means today in our society, especially with children in front of screens so much. And, you know, during the pandemic, sometimes there's just no other, there's no other choice but to have a child be in front of a screen but what is that doing to what is that doing to our society what is that doing to human connection what is it doing to the development of uh of a child in the world what's it doing to care what's it doing to relationships between parents and children and what about family dinner family dinner is something i always tried to have at our house my husband and I are journalists as I said and we have notoriously late hours but our family loves to cook and even if our kids were eating at eight thirty or 9 o'clock we, we always had a joke it's always dinner time at our house and those family dinners really cemented our relationship as a as a five-person unit and they were really they, I would say we did them at least, uh, if not seven nights a week, at least six nights a week. There used to be a time where we would go to restaurants. Do you remember that?
4: Yes, I. It seems like a distant past, but it's actually not so long ago.
7: Right, right. But yeah, those family dinners were really crucial in airing grievances, in learning. Everybody had to give a report about what happened to them that day or something interesting that they learned. It was fun, I I cherish those memories. Right, it's all about
4: connection. So just to wrap it up, we always ask our interviewees, tell us something that's true about you that almost nobody knows.
7: (laughs) I really love the Bee Gees.
4: (laughs) Well, and as I have said to you before, staying Alive is the theme song of this year.
7: Absolutely. And I watched that documentary and I feel completely validated in my love of their their actual genius. I know they get a bad rap for being the disco kings, <laughs> and all that, but did you watch that documentary? No, but now oh, I will. Now it's I will. Fantastic. They were brilliant and they incorporated sounds in their music I didn't know it at the time but you will learn it if you if you if you watch this this documentary you will learn how they incorporated just the sound the sound of going over a rickety bridge into the beginning of jive talking wow spoiler alert spoiler alert
4: well no spoiler alerts for American Baby Mother a Child and the Shadow History of Adoption I really loved this book I was actually mesmerized by it in a way that I'm often only caught up by novels because it has such a strong narrative theme, um, a narrative thrust. And thank you so much for agreeing to this interview.
7: And we're looking forward to having you on Open Book, Open Mind. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to the 28th. Sounds good to me.
0: Bye for now. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Check Us Out, the podcast from the Montclair Public Library. We hope you heard something that you want to listen to, read, or check out at another time. You can find out availability of all our programs, services, and materials on our website, montclairlibrary.org. And remember to download our app from the App Store. Just search for Montclair Public Library to have the library at your fingertips on your smartphone or mobile-enabled device.